I think you're going to like this episode. We talked a lot about Lazina and some of her life experiences, but it was just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, this was the kind of conversation that could have turned into so many more conversations. Some focal points were brown people, white people, how that works, um, perhaps certain first impressions that people made it get wrong, missed opportunities, uh, assumptions. I think it's worth listening to. I think you should check it out and you should share it with a friend. Thank you for supporting the Lifestyle Chase as it grows, as more people check it out, and as more people check out the other episodes. We referenced a few past guests, and it's definitely worth uh, listening to those episodes as well. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Lifestyle Chase, Season 2. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. I'm your host, Chris Little. Let's get started. The Lifestyle Chase is brought to you by Yeg Fitness. Yeg Fitness is Edmonton, Alberta, Canada's healthy lifestyle community, creating and supporting active living for all. Check them out online at yegfitness.ca and on social media at Yeg Fitness. All right, so welcome to episode 101. Today I am joined by Lazina McKenzie. How are you doing? I'm very good. How are you? I'm good. I'm in your fancy house. You've served me tea. I have no complaints. Well, I'm glad you're here. The first <laughs> time we're meeting in my condo. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, like, what was your routine today? We talked about how you went to November Project. Um, what did you do? What was your favorite part? Well, so today's a holiday and uh, it was kind of a, it's, it's always a big deal on holiday days for November Project to wake up. Uh, just because it's, it's you got three days, right? I could have done something different last night, but I went to bed early. I usually wake up at about 5.15 on November Project mornings. Uh, it was pretty chilly this morning. It was about minus 18, so it was a lot of layers. And uh, I wear extra layers on my hands uh, and on my feet, so it, takes, it just takes a little bit of extra layering, right? So it takes a little bit of extra time. And then I usually leave. Uh, I head out the back alleyway here, so we're facing 104th Street. And then off I go. And usually when I run through this parking lot in the back, every single every single time I leave is Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 6 a.m. It's this half an hour workout. Uh, and I usually run through the back alleyway into that parking lot right there. And I'm like, you're a badass. <laughs> uh, and it just like it's just a nice little pep, right? Like it kind of just gets you in that mind frame. And mindset is just really important to like get up, especially when it's like almost minus 20 and really dark outside to get yourself going. So that's what I do as I leave the back alleyway every single time, you're badass. Maybe I swear in there. Um, and then off I went to, to go run. And this morning's a special day, it's a holiday for us, so we can stick around a little bit longer. And so we met um, on the corner by Walterdale Bridge here uh, in, in Edmonton, and uh, we ran 6K, so we call it the sunrise 6K. There was no sun, because it's still very dark in the morning, and off we went. So it doesn't matter how fast, how slow you, wa- you walk or run, it doesn't matter. Uh, at the end, because it's a holiday day, we wait for everybody. So they're really, really speedy people. They go and come back. So it's 3K out, 3K back. Uh, and then we wait. We wait for everybody to come in. So it's kind of fun. you got to bring an extra couple layers so that you can stand out in minus 18 after you're all sweaty and be comfortable. And then everybody, well, not everybody, a ton of people go and have breakfast after. So we like all ram into a Denny's and it's kind of weird because it's like 30 something of us at 7.15 in the morning. And we go have breakfast together. It's totally. a nice way to start a vacation day or a holiday day. Well, I think just any any day at all, because there's a lot of people who start their day and they don't know what it's like to start their day that way. 
it's a really honestly it's a really uh great way to start the day so i started going on a bible project uh, uh, June, it was June 2014 and I didn't know anybody and I actually thought this was an unusual story I actually confirmed two weekends ago I was uh, sharing a, a talk on why I run at Lululemon two weekends ago and I actually asked people because there was a few November Project people did you just go for the first time like on your own? I thought this was an abnormal story to just like go to November Project on my own like enough friend didn't take me I just, I probably just heard it on the radio or heard Andrew, t- like, watch, listen to his tweets or read his tweet or whatever. And I just went. So this is not an uncommon story, apparently. I thought I was unusual and very unique. I'm not. <laughs> so, yeah, I showed up June 2014 and I didn't know what this was. I showed up at Commonwealth Stadium, football stadium, and we uh, we just run the stairs around the entire stadium. It's quite fun. It feels intimidating when you walk in. And the first time you're there, it's, it feels kind of culty. Everyone's wearing, like, a spray painted t-shirt that says November project and I didn't have one and you know day one and you're like what the hell is this all about and everyone starts bouncing and they're screaming fuck yeah in the morning and and it was fun like it was actually really really fun that first day everyone was like high-fiving there's lots of sweaty hugs it was June so it was like warm and everyone was like pouring like dripping at the end of stairs and like people just grab you it doesn't matter how sweaty they are they just grab you uh and i think i was like i was just hooked after day one and i didn't go with anybody i didn't really tell friends i just went i think i just needed something different i was going through some hard stuff in life too which we can talk about too but i just needed something different um so i started going and the first i would say the first two years i was very on and off with going i was going through some health stuff so i couldn't be as physically active as i wanted to and i also once you hit the dark months of november project it takes a lot of mental toughness which turns out now i have but I didn't, I don't think I quite had that or I didn't think I had that at that time. But yeah, no, it's a really awesome way to start the day. I wish it was every day, not just Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, I'm sure our Coley's November project may not want that. It's a lot of work on them and they do a fantastic job. But yeah, it's a really nice way to start the day. And then literally by 6.45, I'm back here, take a shower, get ready, have breakfast and roll to work. Good to go. Like such a nice way to start the day. Totally. Yeah. So for anybody who does not know who you are, because I've got listeners that might not necessarily be from Edmonton. Yeah. Describe yeah. yourself. Pretend you're doing an icebreaker at a party. How would you describe yourself? What things stand out to you about like about you to you? You know. Mm, okay. So, how would I describe myself? I think I'm someone who not. I think I actually know this. I've done work in this space on myself. I'm a connector. I like to connect people together, different ideas together, different opportunities together. And it just comes natural to me that I, you tell me something and in my head, I have like 15 ideas of how I connect you to like what or who to whatever it is that you've just told me about. I just can't help it. Um, so maybe I should have been a recruiter or a matchmaker or something like that, but that is like my strongest skill set. Uh, and I've been like that for as long as I can remember. I just like to connect things together. And usually it has nothing to do with me and it's not self-serving like whatsoever. I just like to connect people together. So that's what I would say is like kind of the biggest thing about like who is me, who is Lizina. Like I like to connect people together. I found that um, another thing I would say about myself, I found that over the last like a number of years now, I really like building community. And that means I know of, like it means lots of things to lots of people. And it's not necessarily about the place that you live in. Um, but I do, and I think no matter where I lived, I would probably take the same approach. I really like connecting, because I like connecting things together, I like to create community around myself. And that could be in fitness, that could be like just being a downtown resident and trying to build more community that way. It could be in the work that I do. I think that's a big part of like, that makes me, makes me who I am. 
What would be another thing that I would say about me? I really care about my family. I'm quite a family-oriented person. In my immediate, like, little family, it's just my husband and I. And we still consider ourselves, like, a very full, like, very loud, boisterous, like, full family, even though there's only two of us. And then I do have a very, very ginormous, like, gigantic extended family. None of them are here. I'm from Toronto originally, so my family's not here. Uh, but I feel like I still stay pretty connected to my immediate family, like my parents, my sisters, like that that family. Um, and not as not as connected with with the giant family as much as I want to. But you, as soon as you get back together, you're you're, you're one and the same again. It's fine that way. Um, but I would say those are the kind of the big things that make me who I am. And maybe one other thing I will add to that: I really like to create and build things. And as long as I can be as creative and innovative as I want, meaning that there's not much of a box around me. I find that I'm I'm fairly fairly successful in being able to build something, whatever whatever that thing is. So not really having much of a box around being able to build, I think has been important, which is maybe why I've chosen for many years to be an entrepreneur, uh, why that's been important to me. Yeah, those would be a few things, yeah. I would say. I like it. There you go. So with uh, connecting people, bringing people together, what's the most recent example that stands out, or at least the most like prolific example that stands out to you of connecting people together um so i can actually talk about a really exciting thing so recently uh, in the last year moved away from being an entrepreneur which is very different and it a little bit of an identity crisis though i think i've managed through that pretty well uh to working to support entrepreneurs so i run a mentorship program for entrepreneurs at the university of alberta called the threshold impact Venture Mentoring Service, and we shorten that to VMS. Uh, and one of the things, because I, I do think I'm a community builder and a connector, is I want to, as much as possible, what we do in this program is we provide mentors who are amazing people in our city who have volunteered their time, their talent, and their expertise to support and help entrepreneurs who are up and coming and are trying to scale something, you know, into something giant. And so that's the gist of the program. And so in terms of being able to connect things together, I really care about providing as much support and opportunity to our entrepreneurs as possible. So if that means I have to wear a little bit of my own PR hat to help them, because I want to connect them to something, I do. Or if it means creating learning opportunities within the context of our program, um, I do because I care. I just care about connecting like a learning experience or learning opportunity to a person uh, in this situation or connecting some of our entrepreneurs to other mentors. There's a pool, like a, over a hundred people that have put their hands up to be mentors in this program, just in this one city alone. Uh, it's pretty amazing that way. So, so that would be to me more recently of continuing to connect. And I find I'm in the very early stages of this, of continuing to build community that already exists there. This program is seven years old at our school. It originally came from MIT 20 years ago, but it's, uh, seven years old at this university here. Uh, and I feel like I'm just at the beginning of continuing to make those connections and, and more importantly, build community around um, this mentorship program. What was the moment that like created that opportunity for you? Of, of making this switch into this yeah. kind of work? Ah, so there's lots of things. So this is kind of a long answer. So how did I transition out of where what I was doing into this? Sure. Um, so... I, in, so it's 2020, in 2017, I went through some heavy, heavy health stuff. Um, not just one thing, but two major things that I went through and it made me have to pause, especially the second thing that I went to I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. I don't know if you, do you know what that is? Roughly. Okay, so I had heard this term when I was diagnosed with this, it was July 28, 2017. And um, I'd heard this term, but I didn't know anything about it. I actually knew one person who had it. 
um, before me. Um, but I didn't really know anything about it. So I heard this is what it was. Um, I was diagnosed with this. It's an autoimmune disease. I'm like, what is that? I've heard that term too, but what does that actually mean? And um, what it meant, so it was made, this diagnosis was made, I had to learn what these new words were. But what it, what it actually was, like physically every day, is like I couldn't really move. I couldn't move my hands. I couldn't really move my feet. I couldn't move my knees. Like I was just having trouble doing things. And I can share some examples, some really little things like squeezing toothpaste on my toothbrush or I have oatmeal in the morning, every single morning, like, like breaking walnuts and putting them in my oatmeal. I couldn't use my hands. Uh, putting my earrings on, like literally anything where you're, it's small, like fine things. So I kind of had to pause on just life in general. This is a very long story to get to your answer, but it'll, it'll get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I kind of had to pause. I had to take some health moments and it was more like a half a year of some health moments of um, kind of recouping that way. Uh, I went on pharmaceuticals immediately. Like it's, will save, if you have an autoimmune disease, pharmaceuticals generally will save your life and provide quality of life for you as a person. Um, and then I had to learn to live with this chronic disease. Um, and part of that time, that's six months, it ended up being like probably eight to nine months. I was, I was not fully on hold with my business, but I kind of was like, I, I just, I couldn't do anything. Like I couldn't even do my shoelace. Like you can't do anything. Um, so I had to pause. And a lot of that time of pausing made me think like, now that I have to think about health first before thinking like growing a business, like to think about like how I, Lizina, I'm going to move forward as a person, just, just period, like period, that's it. Um, I want, I started thinking like, what, what do I want? Who am I? What makes me happy? I kind of done a lot of the work of who am I? Like I'm in my late thirties. I'm in my last year, my thirties. So I've done a lot of the who am I work. Um, so I didn't really have those kinds of questions of myself, but it's more like what gives me happiness? What do I want to do next? And so I spent a good chunk of 2018 kind of answering that for myself of like, what do I want to do next? And I would, so I took on some contract work, um, Professionally, my background is in change management, which has nothing to do with a style and personal branding business, which is what I had before, but I came from a management consulting world um, professionally before that. So I took on a little bit of work there, and, and by the end of 2018, I had, because I'm a connector and I really care about community, I'd reached out to my network. For the first time ever, I reached out to my network for me, not to connect people together, which is what I usually use my network for, be like, hey, person A is looking to do something, let's connect you together. Um, that's usually what I do. But I, I, for the first time I reached out to my network for me and was exploring like, what do you think I'm good at? What do you think I should do next? What are some opportunities out there? And it wasn't like, you know, do you have a job for me? That's not at all what I was doing. It's more coffee chats with people to find out like, and explore like what's out there, especially in a small city that we live in. There's lots of opportunity here, but probably not as much as if you were in Toronto or New York, or if you're in Istanbul or like a big, huge city, right? Um, Though there are, there's a lot of opportunity here. I don't mean to minimize that. So I spent a lot of time doing that and I had like pretty solid opportunities, many like handfuls of opportunities in front of me at the end of that year. Uh, and it was interesting to see what people thought I was good at. Cause I think I, I'm pretty certain I know what my strong skill sets are, but it was interesting to see what people in my network personally and professionally have picked up for me. And that's a little bit of how I, I transitioned. And I, the way that I picked what I'm, cause I could have picked a diff, different opportunities I first led with like what is going to make my health happy, uh, what's going to make me like satisfied professionally where I can continue to grow and like I'm very ambitious. Um, how do I sort of fulfill that for 
as long as I'm interested in doing this work, which I can imagine is going to be a, quite a bit of time, I'm, I'm happy that way. So I needed to first and foremost think about that. So that's a very long answer to your question, but that's kind of how what, that's, that's the journey that got me to where I am right now. I kind of glossed over a lot of stuff there. Maybe we'll get into that. But yeah, that's, that's how I got to this, this new opportunity that's almost a year old now. It still love feels it. brand new though. Yeah, well, I mean, like... <laughs> I love it. It's good because you alluded to the whole, like, getting other people to identify your strengths, which is, like, I uh, did some research for people who are looking to find a new job. You need to ask the people around you what they think your strengths are because sometimes we're not very good at addressing our own strengths. For sure. I also had a friend who, uh, she owns a recruiting business, and she was very generous of her. She did a, a personality assessment on me, which I've done lots before, but it's from a career development perspective. So it's interesting to get this report back and answer a number of questions to get this back and see, like, what does this say? And so some of the opportunities lined up really nicely with what, you know, just on paper, what this report said about me. And, yeah, no, it was really interesting that way. One thing, have you ever done this? One thing I want to do for myself, I've never done this before, uh, I know you can formally do this like by whatever the software or tool to be able to do this is to do my own 360 assessment. Uh, I think I could use SurveyMonkey or Google Forms or whatever and just ask a number of questions uh, and send it out anonymous. Well, send it out to your network, but ask them to anonymous, anonymously answer like stuff about you personally, professionally, um, you know, where you want to go in your life. Just ask people you know in, in your life to like give you some feedback on yourself. And if they don't write their name down, it's kind of nice to get like yeah. real honest feedback. Well, like, what do people actually think about you? What is your brand in the marketplace? What kind of skill sets do people think you're strong at? You know, so where, where are some weaknesses that either you work on or I don't, I don't necessarily think you always need to work on your weaknesses. Like, what are the things that are awesome about you? Keep doing those. Well, that's so true because like uh, a person is going to have trouble progressing if all their attention is focused on the things that they're weakest at versus if they refine it and focus on the things that they're strong at. I, I think so. I, yeah. I, I mean, I also think like the things that you're not awesome at, like you can hire somebody to do those things for you. Just do the things that make you amazing because that gives that gives you energy, that's your genius. Like that would be an interesting thing to, to do, like create your own 360. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean like those Instagram questions, sometimes sometimes I'll leverage those <laughs> a little bit. I'm like, why, why do you guys follow me? Like, yeah. Oh, he's positive. I'm like, oh, sweet, sweet. That's awesome. Yeah. Does that show you who said that? Um, if you put out like the question, yeah, then it'll show. Who it'll attribute okay yeah. their name yeah. to yeah. comment. Oh, okay, got cool. A lot of nice people that follow me, so it's like it pumps my tires. That's so nice. But I'm gonna segue because it got me thinking. What's the most negative feedback that you've ever received? Because I know everybody receives it. We all get it in different ways and different points in our life. Um, what's it been for you? Yeah, it's been a very long time. So that makes me think that people are not being honest with me because nobody's awesome all the time. Um, but you know, it was a number of years ago. It was in my first job. I remember the two people that gave me this feedback. It was constructive criticism. It wasn't like, you suck. It wasn't that kind of feedback. Um, so I, I finished, I moved to, I moved to this city um, 13 years ago, 2006 to do my MBA. Um, and then I went straight into management consulting. So I had a kind of that kind of role for a while. And I'd never worked in an office before. I was a personal trainer long ago when I was in my early 20s. Um, so I built a small training business and then a very good family friend of mine was like, go and do your MBA. And then I thought about more of that. Anyways, blah, blah, blah. Went down the MBA route and then I started in consulting. So that was the first time I'd ever worked in an office environment. And I'd never worked in that kind of business where it's, it's like, it's a lot of brain work. Like you're, you're doing a lot of consulting work. Most of it was public sector work 
uh, on behalf of the government and you're helping them build strategies and change management documents and yeah so it was a lot of stuff that i'd never really done before business school does give, give you some foundation but like consulting is like yeah that's its own school yeah. <laughs> learning how to go through that and so uh this negative feedback or this i would call it constructive feedback it actually has really shaped a lot of my thinking for work since then and that was probably uh, 2008 or nine, um, that feedback was giving given, and it was given by two uh, two women that that uh, I was working on their team, and it was it was structured in a way where like here's here's some of the direction we want to go on a project, here's some of the work that you're doing, here's maybe where we we see room for improvement or some gaps, and let's have a conversation about it. And what that, so I immediately got defensive, like people do, even though you're in your head, you pretend that you don't get this way, like people get defensive, we're human beings. And so, and that was a different time in my life where, as I say, I'm in my late thirties now, I was in my like late twenties then, mid to late twenties then. So you've, you've, I've grown a lot. Um, but at that time, I immediately got defensive. I appreciated that was given to me in writing, which was done purposely, which I think is a great approach. And that's what I'm saying that was foundational in my life. I've used that approach since. I think it's really nice to list something out in a, okay, we might have conflict over this, but let's list out like, here's what's going on. Here's where there's some room for growth uh, based on what you're doing and how do we move forward together? It was a really, really, really amazing learning opportunity for me. And I, I've never forgotten that bit of learning opportunity. And I, those two people are important to my life, in my life to this day. Um, yeah, so I would say that was a negative piece of feedback, but in terms of like the wording that you use, but it was constructive feedback that's, I don't know, fueled my thinking and really shaped how I think about service to clients, whatever your client is, no matter what it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, I like that way of seeing it because I think a lot of us, we, we get trolls, we get haters, we get uh, just uh, instances where we might be going in for an evaluation, like a quarterly review or something like that. Um, we can let that beat us down and just stay down. Yeah. Or we can let that shape us into growing our empire or whatever that is. Well, and so 100%. So at that time, it was nice to get it in writing. So I was like, okay, I can think about this. And I'm like, well, why are these people, these two wonderful people that I worked with, why are they sending this to me? Like, you could easily just write me off or whoever was going through. You could just not tell them and then move on and cut them out of a project situation. Or you could take time to like teach and mentor someone who's still learning. And that's what they chose to do. So I was like, well, why are they doing this? Well, clearly I have potential and they can see that. So maybe I just need, you know, a couple of veils pulled off so I can see what's in front of me and work through that. So yeah, I think it's a matter of asking the why. Like why is someone actually taking time and effort to write a, a long email and share like in a very uh, laid out, thoughtful way. Like here's some things that we think and how do we move forward together? Like that's well, important. Yeah, it's so true. It's such a good reflection to take on just uh, feedback in general. Yeah. A lot of people in the gym might receive positive feedback. Somebody might be like, hey, nice arms. And that person, like, ah, they didn't really mean nice arms. It's like, no, like you have to hear that because they're not just going to wake up in the morning and be like, oh, I'm just going to tell Bob from the gym that he's got nice arms. I'm just going to do that. I've got a, just an agenda to tell people they have nice arms today. No, if you see it, you call it out. And so people need to receive both negative and positive, but especially positive because People are hard on themselves. Like maybe not everybody, but I would say probably eighty percent of people listening to podcasts are inherently hard on themselves. Do you? I don't take positive feedback well. I just get embarrassed. I I can think of a few instances recently where people have complimented various things. Do you get this way too? And I just get like flustered and embarrassed. I just 
I want I rather whatever it is it's usually the work whether it's like professional work or like side hustles or passion projects kind of work I'd rather the work just speak for itself and me personally not be acknowledged if like if I'm like creating so I'll talk about this I'm sure we'll talk about like what does community building mean to me because that is a piece of me um when I so when I do some of that work I would rather the that to be recognized and not like what congrats Lizina, you did this great thing it's so embarrassing do you get that way I, I would say like we even experienced that before we pressed record today like we were doing our intros to each other and you're like oh yeah you're making the fitness issue what and it's just like totally for, for me I just kind of think about it as like just like a thousand other people in the city I do personal training and just like about 150 other people in the city, I have a fitness podcast and I just try and stay alive and put out my, my good message and hope for the best. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, there you go. Yeah. We all have this. Yeah. It's just like that. That's why personal growth is such a trend these days and just uh, that self-reflection and it, it's not a bad thing. It's uh, people are a little bit more self-aware and they recognize things and Perhaps it is that lack of community in their life where they're they're needing to get community in some form. So they're looking for it in like a podcast or a book or like a video or, or whatever. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I agree. When yeah. we talk about community, what's the furthest you've ever been from feeling a sense of community? Oh, that's a good question. Um... Okay, I can think of some, I'll, I go, I'm going to reach very, very far back uh, to when I was a kid. So I'm very uh, lucky, my sisters, I'm the middle of three daughters. My sisters and I are the lucky, lucky recipients of very forward-thinking brown parents. Um, I didn't have a typical, and I say typical because I've asked a lot of, a lot of people who come from the kind of background that I come from. I did not have that typical story where, um as a child of people who have immigrated to this country i i got to do a lot i got to like learn a lot and that's because my parents they were young my parent my mom was 19 when she had my older sister so they themselves were children like learning how to be parents in a brand new place uh and trying to build a life for themselves and so being the lucky recipient what i mean of like their love their hard work their sweat their tears or all of that stuff that you put into raising children um, we got to do a lot of things that I would say very honestly, like all the other white kids that I grew up with were doing. Like I learned how to ski when I was a kid. I'm brown. That doesn't happen very often. And so this is the example I will share with you. That uh, So growing up, I'm from Toronto originally. Uh, we used to go to Vermont most years for March break with a group that, uh, that my dad used to work with. Some people that he worked with, their whole families. And we also used to go on this convoy to, to Vermont every single year for March break. And... Um, uh, we were the only brown family that was there and my parents didn't care about that at all like they did not notice that they didn't care even skiing like we used to go to Killington Vermont um, they they didn't really I'm sure they noticed but they never mentioned it to us that wow we are the only non-white people here there's usually a token Asian family and like one black guy but there's and it's all white people and so so that for me I kind of I mean I've talked about this and reflected on this a lot from that point in my life till now that you kind of feel like an outsider. And I know my parents never talked about it to us because they didn't want us to ever feel like that no matter what we did. They never wanted us to feel like we were not doing what every other kid was doing and they didn't care about the color of those kids. So I was very lucky that way that 
I didn't have to think about those things, but you do notice it when you're like the only one of your ethnicity doing something. And yeah, like it, it, you just notice it. And at, like, as a result of all of that hard work and sweat and tears and all that kind of stuff, I'm, I'm a really damn good skier. But it feels weird when you're a kid, when all the other kids, especially in that group we went with, like they were all like amazing skiers and we were just learning. So it's weird because you're at this different level and you're also like, okay, I'm like this little brown kid. Like, of course you're really good because you're like, you know, you're a white guy. But, but that's just not how, in reality, that's not how it is for us. But I would say that's the time for me when I felt like a little bit of an outsider and not that, that true sense of community. And that was probably just like us in our own heads. Like, I'm sure no one made us feel like an outsider because we went with like probably many families. There were probably like 30 of us that went together. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's a natural thing to, to feel because like, that's just, it's reality. There, there are cultural differences. There are like, just, we're going to find ourselves in situations and sometimes people forget that people are people. Sometimes people emphasize that people are people, which is what I like about your experience is that it was just like, yeah, we're just going skiing. Like, yeah, they didn't care about that at all. Yeah. If you had somebody else that experienced the exact opposite scenario, what kind of words of encouragement would you give them? Um, yeah, so I, I, I do think about this a lot. I've talked about it a lot. I ask cousins, I ask family, friends. Like I just text people like, what do you think about this? Because usually as soon as you start, I feel like when you start doing something, you kind of rise to a certain level of it being a, an ethnic minority, you're kind of like the first one doing it. And, it, and it's not, I know that's not true. Um, but it feels that way when there's everyone around you is white doing it. Um, so, so one thing I would say, and again, this is just the way I was raised. I'm very lucky I was raised the way that I was, is that I think people put limitations on themselves. I'm going to share something that I might get in trouble for saying. Um, but I think people put cultural limitations on themselves. And so I know that um, I'm often... This is often said to me, and I don't know if it's said to my sisters, I should ask them if this is ever said to them, but people always, not not always, people have said over the course of my life that you're really whitewashed or that you look, you're a coconut. I'm sure people listening, if, especially if they're brown, they've heard these terms before. And so what that, I mean, what that means is like, do people just think I'm white because I ski? Like, or that I know how to play tennis very well. Like I got scholarships to go to the States when I was a teenager to go play tennis or that I used to play the violin when I was a kid. Like my parents made us do these kinds of things so that we became well-rounded people. But I like I throw it back at people. I only only the last two years I've been throwing this back at people when people call me whitewashed. I'm like, well, does that mean that you're brownwashed? Like, is there a cultural limitation that you put on yourself that limits you from doing all of these things that you wanna do? Like climbing to the top of a mountain, which you never see brown people. You do, I guess, if you're like in India <laughs> or if you're somewhere in Africa and there's like large mountains, like you do see. You do see that, obviously. I, I'm talking about where we live. But but I think that's something that I throw back at people to say, like, why would you put those limitations on yourself? There's no reason why you can't ski. It's cold outside. Well, just for it. Like, there's no reason why you can't do certain things. And maybe that's what my parents taught us all along without saying it or calling it out. Like, yeah, we're the only brown people on the hill. Who cares? And it doesn't even matter. Just go ski. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's something that a person can take away from it is it's just like sometimes you might have to be really loud about just going and doing the thing. Like sometimes you might just have to be really assertive with just living your life just like anybody else would. But there's no reason why you shouldn't. Right. But it is a cultural limitation. Why don't you see? And I'm, I'm trying to have more of this conversation. And maybe it is just the city that we live in. 
Um, maybe it's certain parts of cities that we live in. I'm not sure, but like, why am I like one of only the, a few non-white people running in the R River Valley here? Why? That's a good question. Like, seriously. I think this wouldn't happen if you were in like LA. But like, why here? Like, I mean, I noticed it when I'm at November Project, when I'm in different fitness communities, there's not a lot of non-white people, period. Like, you can look, like, there's, like, a few Asians. You, you notice, like, you notice when there's, like, one or two black people. Like, you notice when there's people who are not white because you look at each other. Any person who is not white will understand what I'm, what I'm talking about, where when you scan a room when you walk into it and there's another non-white person, doesn't matter what ethnicity they are, you just look at each other. You just do. Yeah. It's like, they know. It's like you a, just do. You can't help it. It's like bald guys looking at bald guys. Like, I get it. I get it. It's a thing. Like people have their their things. Yeah, but I like I wanna I wanna have, and this is probably why I've texted a few cousins and family friends and all of this because I'm trying to like understand like why why are there like in terms of like diversity inclusion like I was born and raised in this country and I had very forward thinking parents like why aren't there a lot more of me running outside in the river valley? So how are you gonna impact change? Just go out there. Honestly, you just, you show up. Like, you know how cool it is to see. So I was a little conflicted about this, but it's pretty cool to see my photo on the wall at Lululemon, an international brand. Like it was pretty cool that I was asked. I was really shy at first. Cause again, this goes back to like, I'd rather my work be the thing that's looked at, not me being the one that's looked at. And I'm also like, I'm not 21. Like why does my photo need to be on a wall? Uh, but that's kind of a cool thing that I was recognized for, for I think a few things. Um, it's kind of also hard to say like why do you think that but it's it's I think it's it's awesome to see my I can actually say that now I'm trying to say the sentence <laughs> I think it's pretty awesome to see my photo on the wall at Lululemon and I'm brown yeah and I'm like a brown brown person not a light-skinned brown person I think that's important it is an important thing it's I don't look like a Bollywood star in terms of color of skin I actually look like a normal colored brown person on the wall and that's that's the way it is Period. Yeah. 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 Have you ever had an instance where you were in a circumstance and you said nothing at all and somebody just made an assumption like, without speaking and somebody was like, uh, they, they were ready to uh, talk slower or they were ready oh, to... Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. I have a very specific example. Here we go. I was in grade nine. It was the beginning of grade nine, like the first two months. It was still fall time. So it was like September, October, November, sometime in the fall. Ontario falls are like, it's a long season. So sometime in the fall, uh, I just started grade nine, which is beginning of high school in, well, everywhere, I guess. Or not here. Anyways, in Ontario, high school starts in grade nine. So I was now going to a different school is the whole point of this. So I'm going to a different school. It was about a 10 minute walk from my house. Um, I... Well, I wasn't with my older sister or my younger sister. Anyways, I was by myself walking home. Uh, and I lived in a, a very, we, we lived in a very white, old, kind of old white neighborhood. Uh, it's a great place to grow up. I really liked our neighborhood. Anyways, th this is a very important distinction why I mentioned that. So I was walking home from, from school. It was the first couple months and it was probably about halfway home. So like a five minute walk in. And there was a really old couple raking their leaves. That's how I remember it was fall. They were raking their leaves and they said, welcome. And they were like, welcome. I thought they were welcoming me to the neighborhood, to that school. Because I had just finished grade eight in a whole different school. And now I'm uh, in a you know, different part of the city or a different part of the town that I lived in. I grew up in Richmond Hill, Ontario. Um, and now I'm in a whole different place. And I thought they were welcoming me to the high school. 
So I said thanks. And they were they were lovely. They were being very nice and very kind and that kind of thing. They, it turns out, were welcoming me to Canada. And it, oh, it didn't occur to me until half, you know, it was only like a few minute exchange. But it didn't occur to me until like partway through that, oh my gosh, they're not saying like, welcome to Richmond Hill High School. They're welcoming me to Canada because they think I'm new here. I had never experienced that before. I'm born and raised in Canada. Like, this is a weird... Has anyone ever welcomed you to Canada? It's a weird thing. It's yeah. a weird thing. I mean, they they didn't... They weren't being mean. They weren't being malicious. They were, like, probably in their 80s, like, you know, raking up their leaves. So they meant no harm by it. But it's a weird kind of assumption that I just let pass. I didn't want to embarrass them. They were nice. So I wasn't trying to embarrass them or anything like that. And you're just kind of stunned. I was also... 13, I was in grade nine. How old during grade nine? So I was kind of stunned. Yeah. Yeah. It was a no, weird like, thing. I understand that, like, loud and clear. I went to rural school. The same thing would have happened. We, we didn't even have, like, a token black kid. We had a South Korean kid. That was our ethnic population. And we had our indigenous population. Because, like, I went to school, like, close to Pigeon Lake, which is very accessible to a lot of local Indian reserves. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like it's, it's just going to happen. I wish it wouldn't. And I think uh, it's important to advocate that people are people. I, I had an interview with, uh, his, his short form name is Thor because I couldn't pronounce his Danish name, which is ironic. There's a segue to this, but first I'm gonna get to the main point. He traveled the world. Like he is traveling to every country in the world he just has nine left. He's stuck in Hong Kong right now, and he's doing it without uh, going on a plane. So he wow. was episode 99, if anybody's listening to this that wants to go back and check it out. But he's been doing this journey for seven years. He's traveled to all the nations of Africa. He's traveled through the Middle East. He's traveled through like Asia. He's traveled through anywhere where, where you would think, oh no, that's different. Or like, oh, we can't go there. And... 99% of the time, it's like, wow, that was like, they're very gracious hosts. They wanted to make sure that I had food. They were extremely welcoming. Like, it's a, a real smack in the face of perspective that like, hey, like, give, give your head a shake. Like, pay attention in social studies, like little things like that. Um, there, there's so much uh, rich history to Canada yeah. in which like me as like, a pasty white guy, who, yeah, has never been said, welcome to Canada. Like, why wouldn't I be welcome to Canada? I should be welcome to Canada. I don't, like, have the deepest roots to Canada. And so, yeah, it's messed up. So that's why I talk about this on the podcast, because then people can, like, have that whole, like, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Um, that whole moment where, like, you know, I should really give a bit more consideration into, like, who is being put up on the wall of my local store and who is uh, like how, how I am approaching people, how I am building my community, what does community look like? I had a really good conversation with Andrea Rice. Oh yeah, she's a good we, friend. We talked about like uh, opening up community like in the bigger scheme of things because we say community, but then we look at our community and we're like, is this community or is this uh, bunch of white people and like a couple brown people. Are these like, the people like me? Yeah. Like, is it just confirmation bias? Yeah. And she really, what I really liked, because we had a great 
visit was she challenged the word community in the sense that what we think is community is it really or is it just like confirmation bias of what we deem to be community what we're comfortable with now yeah and then we're just looking for more of what we're comfortable with now for sure so you know on, on that point so yeah it was about april last year when lululemon approached me and said would you be a brand ambassador for our company that's kind of a it's kind of a big deal and so it took me a little bit to think about it because like are you i'm not 21 do you want me to post all these photos of myself and fitness gear like i didn't quite know what it entailed it was quite an honor to be asked but i didn't know at first what that meant anyways i said yes eventually once i understood more and they you know they wanted me to share what i do and how i do just the way i am right now i don't have to change anything about me which at this age you don't really change for anyways blah 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 it was very very nice and so one of the earlier conversations i had was around that like I mean, back. I don't want to. I don't want to dwell on the point of like, why is there no one? Why are there very few people? Not no one. Why are there very few people that look like me running in our river valley? There aren't a lot, um, and so that's a tricky thing. But I also wanted to broaden the conversation of, well, why, when I go to lots of fitness events, it doesn't matter. I don't need to like put it to, like attribute it towards a company or a group of people or you know a certain fitness community. That's not really what it is. Like, everyone kind of looks the same. And, and that's, not, that's not necessarily a fair thing to say, but when I look at other females, it's usually someone in their young or in their early 30s, blonde or brown ponytail, and they're generally relatively slim. And that's, that's great. Like that's, that's you know, one type of person or you know, a few groups of people that live in our city. I'm like, but where's everybody else? Why am I not seeing like the Jamaicans who I know play cricket at Victoria? Like there's lots of Filipino people here who play basketball. So there is like people who are in the fitness space of other cultures and other ethnicities that make up the population of our Canadian city here. Like, where are they? Like, why am I not seeing them represented? And so I wanted to have a bigger conversation around that. Like, why are we not integrated from a health and wellness and fitness point of view in that way? Maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm being unrealistic with even asking that question, but I'm starting to ask that question because I don't, it's, it's, it doesn't feel right to only see me running in the River Valley, which is a fairly, it's, you know, it's a pretty easy way to access fitness running. Like you need a cool pair of running shoes that fit your feet. It doesn't matter how much they cost, like they fit your feet well. Uh, yeah, like I, I like that point that you make and I'm going to preface this by like saying like, I'm not perfect, I'm a work in progress, but when i'm meeting like any new friend from any background from any origin i try to get better at listening and like really understanding um because like if you look at my my circle of friends it's like a rainbow of different ethnicity it's pretty cool that's great from like the outside in if you were just to like line everybody up it's really easy to assume that everybody follows like one set of values or that everybody follows like one set of religious beliefs or that half of them don't drink half of them do drink all these different things that are just super super easy to assume how many times do we actually stop to ask or how many times do we actually stop to like put research into it like you see your friend wishing like a different holiday than what you celebrate how many people actually put research into be like well what is the customs of this holiday Mm -hmm. and how can i wish it back or like, what what are they going to be doing that I don't understand and how can I understand it better? Like there, there's so many things that are just, they're a big part of the identity of the people around me. 
And I would be naive to not look into that further if I'm saying like, these are my friends. What, how am I proving that if I'm just gonna be like, oh, well, I mean, like that's not what I do, so it doesn't really matter, you know? So mm -hmm. I, I think, and like I say, I'm a work in progress. Like I, I, I am still working on that kind of stuff. But that's a nice thing. That's a nice thing from an awareness point of view of yourself. Like, it's nice. I mean, this is, my parents say this a lot. Like, this is the beauty of, like, being in this fabric of the Canadian culture. Like, we, everybody comes from a different background. It doesn't matter if you came from another part of the world or you're moving from city to city. You come with a different cultural background. Like, even moving from Toronto here, culturally, there are differences. Like, I know it seems like it's all the same. It's Canada, but it's not. Like, there are cultural differences. It's so awesome to, like, be part of this mosaic of somewhere different. And for yourself what you're saying like just being aware to learn to learn about like different it doesn't have to be just different cultures different anything like we're a very diverse society it's yeah. awesome to just be aware and learn about different things well i mean like your morning routine versus my morning routine your career background versus my career background like everything about somebody else can make each of us better totally i even had this like so I grew up, my dad's side of the family is Muslim, and so I grew up with strong influences that way. So my dad's, my dad is Muslim, my mom was raised Hindu, and they baptized us Roman Catholic. And so I grew up with literally everything in our house. So like we, we didn't sell it, well, we celebrated Eid and all the fun stuff about it, but we knew a lot about that because we were exposed to it all the time. My mom is Hindu and her family is Hindu, so we celebrated a lot of Hindu um, festivals. We celebrated Diwali, like that was a big part of our life growing up, and then we always had Christmas and like Easter and you know, those kinds of holidays. And so it was interesting for me when I moved here, but more, more importantly, after that, when I got married, I married a white person. This is, my last name is now Mackenzie. Uh, and, and even just being exposed to like the culture and cultural norms within my husband's family, like that's, that was nothing that I grew up with. Value system, I would say is very similar. Like that's part of what brought us together, but our upbringing and the way that even just being in, in, my parents house versus my in-laws house like it's just it's so different and so i know that might not seem like a well i think it would seem like a big deal like you're it's just something different than what you know and maybe that's back to the point that originally that got us on this thread of like thinking about your biases like we all have them right and it, not everybody's the same just because you can't see what's in their head or what's in their body like we're not all the same we come we arrive we show up every single day like so different yep yep yeah well i mean like when, when you talk about your experiences in Canada, I'll give you a little snippet of my experience. When I went to Denmark one time, because I have distant relatives in Denmark, um, I don't know very much to any Danish. I know how to say, like, cozy, hugli. What's so that? that's a thing. What does that but, mean? So, like, hugli is, like, the sense of making cozy. I think that's oh. the direct translation. Okay. So you, like, light candles, you make tea, you get a warm blanket, you light the fire... And that's like a custom for them based on like their, their weather is very similar to Canada, just like a lot of cold, a lot of rainy, a lot of dark. And so it's like a cultural thing. To, How do you spell that? I actually think I read about that last like, year. Well, there's H-Y-G-G-E and that's like the equivalent of like hug. Yeah, so I totally have heard this. Yeah, yeah, and then I forget how to spell like the longer googly version, but it's like, it's such a common custom like um, there's books about it, there's, yeah. there's products selling it, all that stuff. So I went to Denmark for the first and only so far time ever in like 2010. And at that time I had hair, so that was the thing. And <laughs> it was it was fairly blonde and green eyes, walking around, didn't say a word. 
people everywhere are speaking Danish to me. And not every time, but like 90% of the time. If I looked awkward, they would speak English. But if I was just like walking around like I would walk around, they would default to Danish. And it's just like, that's, that's perspective that people need is to understand like sometimes people are just going to look and assume and we're all doing it. It's just, we're not all in like that contrasted situation where we're put in that position to be like, oh, you know? Right, like, yeah. Uh, a lot of people never experience that equivalent. I've had that exact experience, I have to say. I, in 2006 and 2007 in the summertime, uh, I went to India. So 2006, I was there on a volunteer experience and I found myself, it was the summer before I moved here. Um, and I went on a volunteer excursion with World Literacy of Canada and they're based in Toronto and then in Varanasi, India. And I look Indian to people. I am not from India. My family is from Guyana and South America. And, but I'm of East Indian descent. Clearly I look Indian, right? Um, and so I, went, I had the same experience you did. So I went to India for the first time. In that first year I was volunteering. So I was um, living at a center, the World Literacy of Canada Center. And then we got paired off. Uh, there was nine of us, eight from Toronto and one guy from Calgary or Red Deer. I can't remember. I didn't even know where Red Deer was at that time. Uh, being from Toronto, I didn't know that. Um, so that was the summer of 2006. And in the summer of 2007, I decided I wanted to go back to India. I had a very amazing experience. And I wanted to go back to India for the summer to do my internship for my for the MBA. And so I got to go and I stayed with family friends of ours, family friends that I grew up with in Toronto. Their family, their family lived in India still. So I went and stayed with them. Uh, so I had two totally different experiences. One was fairly rural. I was living with a host family. And the second one, I was staying with family friends in Delhi, living like a very interesting life, uh, very, very interesting life that second time. But both times I had a very similar experience. Like I look Indian. And people start speaking Hindi to me, and I'm like, I have no idea what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. not a clue in the world. <laughs> well, I mean, it's uh, is more likely to happen. Well, I don't know. It's it's tough. I guess it just depends on the setting that we're in. But because there's so much more diversity in anybody that's any shade of brown, like there's going to be a lot more possible language that mm -hmm. yeah. a person can assume. Um, anytime that I've traveled to Hawaii, I've had one of my Filipino friends with me. And they get mistaken as like a local and which is great because we get like the local shopping deals <laughs> and I like me just strolling around in Hawaii in places where like white people have bought a plan and kind of like messed up the the natives of Hawaii's like their their, their space they're not too happy to see me with my like touristy Hawaii tattoo <laughs> Like, oh, one of these guys, hey? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. when I have my Filipino friends, it's like my safety blanket. But there, there is some language crossover where they can basically, there, there's a lot of crossover between a lot of languages, similar to how, like, if I'm learning any aspect of Danish, then I can understand a little bit of Norwegian. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, so that is helpful. But from putting that aside, like... There, there's no, they weren't born in Hawaii, they don't have relatives in Hawaii, but they go to Hawaii and they're welcomed home. Yeah, yeah, that's, and in, that's interesting. I wasn't born in Denmark, I, like I have relatives in Denmark, but like I just, I wouldn't have known if not for, they actually are, my relatives in Denmark tracked us down 
through like a network of libraries. Real? Oh, so you didn't know them growing up? So like uh, my my heritage from there is my mom's dad, and he passed away when he was like fifty one. So my mom was still young, and then so several years later, then I was born. So I never had any connection yeah. to Danish heritage before they finally tracked us down through like I think there was they had a connection in the states who got connected with a local uh, museum who finally got connected to us and then we've been able to visit back and forth and I'm connected to them in social media oh that's fascinating so just crazy and you didn't have like cousins there growing up like you're now connected or like I mean some time ago but you're connected I yeah. find that fascinating. Well, it's it's super cool because then today, like, I am connected to a bunch of second cousins who are like close in age, close in interest. Like, I have got a Danish physiotherapist, a Danish personal trainer, like lots of people doing the, the similar things, similar experiences, and we can kind of keep it tabs on each other on Instagram. I think sometimes they listen to the podcast, and like, if not for globalization, this would not happen. Like, that, does anybody look like you? You look um, like your your family, your family here. I, I'm sure that like I, some features? I, I have characteristics yeah. that make it easy to d- identify aspects of my heritage, but I'm just like a melting pot of just white. We got some like Scottish, Irish, English, Welsh, Danish. Right, yeah. And yeah, so it would oh. be interesting to do one of those like surveys where you spit in the cup and mail it in or whatever, if, whatever yeah, if, you have to do. Yeah. Just to kind of see if there's any kind of a blip in there. I would love to find it. So I tried... Um, so when I went to the, when I went to India, uh, I think it was the second time in the summer of two thousand seven. I was doing my internship. I think it was that year. I can't remember for sure. If it was that year or the first year? But I no, it was the first year. It was the first. Sorry, who cares? It doesn't matter. Um, so I remember seeing in my mind people that I thought looked like relatives of mine, not my immediate family, like not my mom and my dad and my sisters, looked like our extended family. I I saw a few people that reminded me of like a cousin an uncle like random people so why would I even connect these people who were not like my immediate family right um and so it made me think like I wonder if this is the part of India that our family's from like I don't know like is the food similar enough like maybe some of that was crossed over like generations later to to Guyana like maybe I don't know um but then I heard that I could get it was the first year for sure because I was looking for this it was a PIO card a person of Indian origin card that you could get I should google this it's been that was 2006 I've never looked it up since then um to see like could I get this card because I wanted to go back the next year which was 2007 could I find this person could I get this visa because then I didn't need to get a visa to get into India which is what you need or at least needed at that time um and so I was trying to like trace my family my grandfather my paternal grandfather was the closest link um but people like there was no proper records of like that was under British rule at that time so I imagine his name would have been on like an official record somewhere but who did he come with? When did he come? How old was he? Did he have a birth certificate? Like any like documentation? I couldn't find that as I started asking like some of my older aunts and uncles. And one aunt that was, I think, I don't know if she, like, was she curious to ask some of these questions too? I don't know, but anyways, I, I, yeah, I never found the answer. I never got the PIO card. I still paid the visa and off I went again. This is one thing I find very, very fascinating about indigenous culture of like orally passing your history and your family origins down. I just, I think that's amazing. And I probably appreciated it more as I was going through that, trying to find out where's our family from, moving from India to Guyana. And now most of our family lives in Toronto, actually. Between Toronto, New York, and Florida, there's a lot of like my family and both sides of my family. Um, but kind of moving around the world that way, uh, we don't have that same oral 
or strong oral history. Indigenous people do. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Well, it's something that It's so I, purposeful, passing that down. I, I reflect on it sometimes in the sense that, like, just because I don't have a definable, like, single culture of sorts, like, just because I'm a dynamic of multiple things does not mean I have to stop down somebody else's thing. So when the indigenous girl was singing the national anthem at the other game, I was like, yeah, that's good. Because that, that inspires other people to fight for their identity. Yeah. And it's a huge part of Canada. Like, it's Canada. I mean, it's it's something greater than Canada, really, at the end of the day. But That's like, so important. We've, we've gone on such a cultural tangent here. I just think, I mean, this goes back to an earlier point. Like, this, we, we celebrated this growing up. Like, learning about other people's cultures in the house that I grew up in was very important. That was a cultural, that was a value, a value system in my house growing up. Like, we, and, and the biggest way that showed up, just because this is what we all like to do, we all like to eat in our house. So the biggest way we learned about other people's cultures is learning about their food. Yeah. So when I, you know, I don't know, maybe it was like in university or later in life, like I feel like I had a lot of cultural fluency when it came to food because I just grew up not eating just like Indian food. Like I grew up eating everything. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's just so important. That's a nice way to celebrate like the amazing parts of everybody's culture that make up where we live. I'm well, so I mean, lucky to live where we live. Yeah, I've been accidentally creating ethnic traditional dishes lately. That's awesome. Like, I, I put lentils in my rice, <laughs> and I've been told that that's a thing, and I'm like, what? But that's <laughs> from many parts of the world. Oh, yeah. Rice and beans, that's from many, many, many different well, parts of the world. There, Well, there's rice and beans, but then there's, like, red lentils yeah. in rice. Yeah. And it's... Yeah, from tons of different parts of the world. But I just thought I was being smart and getting more protein. That is honestly what I thought. And then uh, I put it in my Instagram story, and Farah actually messaged me, and she was like, "I always knew you were brown at heart." Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, I got it. I got a big piece of Middle like, Eastern people do that. Indian just, people do that. South Americans do that. Like, this is like I, I, I bet lots of different cultures in Africa do that. I know for sure that they do. Well, if you go to Costa Rica, then it's like brown beans, totally, and, and rice. So yep. yeah, absolutely. There's so many different versions of like rice and beans. But typical white guy would not be just default to oh well, where's my lentils at? Gotta mix those <laughs> in the rice. Like seriously, I know no other white guy. Who just like I can pop, on a whim? I'm like I could pull it out of my fridge right okay. now. <laughs> it takes some some coaxing for most other people, but I just on my own on my own free will decided that's what I was going to do one day, and I seem to continue to do that's it. That's perfect. I just, it's neat. Yeah, that's great. I think like if we put a what if we put a one message in our episode, it's honestly just as a person listening to this, like get to know other people better, like figure out what you don't know. Don't yeah. just assume what you don't know. Figure out what you don't know. Ask more questions. Listen better. Um, get to know other people's like traditions, beliefs, and holidays and stuff. Because like it's we uh, in like a selfish way, we get so much more personal growth. Our our For life sure. is open up so much more. We learn more about ourselves because we talked about how we would uh, source out the uh, the standpoints of others to see our skills and what we are good at well what if we just dissected that out like we don't have as big of a scope of people to tell us what we are skilled at yeah if we are not open to getting to know this big plethora of people because like if, if we uh looked at the statistics of our city that we are in right now um it is extremely extremely multicultural very multicultural it like, is 
yeah. more so than I thought when I first arrived here in 2006. It's very, very diverse. And I it just think different. What pers- part of the city you're in, either? Like, yeah, granted, exactly. There's, there's going to be the little pockets, but uh, if you go to the grocery store, you're going to find like probably 30 different cultures at any given time. Yeah, why wouldn't like why wouldn't you like they have, we all live in the city we all have to go buy food of course yeah. you would. Well, I mean like that that's very that's, evident. that makes sense. Yeah, like, we all gotta survive, but it's just so cool that uh, we're all coexisting. But then we're forgetting we're like, oh, I could actually uh, better myself by seeing what this person's all about and why they do the, what they do. Yeah, like people aren't gonna do something because it's more difficult inherently. Yeah, they're going to do something because that's how they perform at their best. So why would I not ask what they're doing that makes them perform so well? Because they are making up the population that are the high performers. Like um, every so often I'll look back on previous guests. Like I make a conscious effort to do equal male and female. And sometimes I have to play some catch up. Mm -hmm. And I do make a conscious effort to create some diversity in it. So I have to play a lot of catch up with that. Because I'm aware, I'm aware of, of my past guests and it requires a lot of reaching out, a lot of searching, but I wouldn't be a podcast without bias if I wasn't working on like reducing that bias. Oh, for sure. And it goes, I mean, it goes all ways, right? Like it doesn't, I, I, I mean, everybody does this. You with first and foremost, you kind of reach to people who are closest to you, which are generally not always, but like people who are like you and look like you and like hopefully not think like you like that's what they think about having diverse um friendships or you know diverse people around you even in a work context like it's that's really nice but i have to do that we everybody has to do that like i consciously have to go and reach out to someone who's not like me too well in the in the personal trainer industry and you might recall some of this from your experience but it's just like we have like our professionals that we follow and then we have our peers that also follow that person yeah and then where it's just this big echo chamber it's like yeah listen what they say yeah yeah they're right like that's how you did it yeah well you have to diversify in that sense too yeah because you can't just listen to the person that says this is how you do it you have to apply that in the gym and you have to formulate the reason for yourself and you can't just say that's not how you do it because you have to try it yeah or else you can't say that's not how you do it because you don't know why it's not how you do it you can't just blindly follow the opinions of one person when you're dealing with people that they will never deal with for sure oh, for sure like each of us are going as if you're working in fitness if you're working with any kind of a people business we're going to amass a selection of people that is very different to what the people that we listen to get and so if we do not apply what we're learning in in a very unique sense then we are not doing our due diligence yeah so much. yeah serving the purpose of we are working with individuals we are not uh doing like this cookie cutter template and applying it to our people just as they did to theirs right yeah yeah no i i agree like it's i think like that's important one long-winded <laughs> <laughs> no it's good i i'm in agreement awesome <laughs> and so i'm gonna try and like wrap this up because we've gone on for quite a look while look how easily we chat it's it's easy flawless easy um I would have to ask, with your experience as a personal trainer, how how long were you doing that for? First mm. of all, yeah. So I uh, I was twenty three. That was a long time. It was two thousand three. That's how old I am. Um, so it was two thousand three, and I was probably it was probably just under three years. 
So I had uh, my undergrad in school as a kinesiology health science undergrad at York University. Um, and I took a little bit of a, a sidestep. I will totally share this because I bet a lot of people have been through this. So I finished university just like a lot of people do. And you're like, what the hell am I going to do now with my life? Like, I have no idea what I'm going to do now. And I had spent a lot of time through university years, like shadowing a chiropractor, going in, like I got to go spend a, a one full shift with a, uh, with a paramedic, like on an ambulance, like full 12 hours, like it was crazy. Um, I, fought, I, I uh, shadowed a physiotherapist for months, actually. I went and volunteered at a clinic. So I had done sort of stuff in that space to say, like, what might I be interested in and got to go and learn. And um, this was, again, uh, a little bit of push for my parents to why don't you go and learn what's out there? Like, it's one thing to go to school, but like whatever who cares it's just school like you have to actually go and experience something that's real after that uh and so chiropractic was something that i was interested in yeah so anyways there's a number of things that i potentially was interested in and i finished university just like a lot of people and i was like i have no idea what i want to do now um and i was panicked i remember handing in my last exam at university and i was so excited and i handed it to the professor and i walked out of the room and i just like was taken over with dread and i was like i have no idea what i want to do now and I'm sure a lot of young people at this age or at that age can can relate to that. Like, I don't know what I want to do. Lots of people do have some clue what they want to do, but I just didn't. And I remember going home and my mom had made like, I think she'd made like a special lunch. I was 22. I was still living at home. I'd just driven back and forth to university. And, there, you know, my parents had a nice bouquet of flowers and all this like, yay, you're done kind of stuff. And that was great. But I remember I went and took a nap and I was just filled with dread. Like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. And I actually took a very weird sidestep. I actually moved to Trinidad and Tobago when I started med school. Me, I'm not doctor material. I think you need to be extremely detail-oriented and methodical and all these kinds of things. And perhaps I am for things that I'm interested in. Um, but I have a big picture strategy kind of brain. That's Doctor is not my brain. Anyway, so off I went. I didn't have to write the MCATs, which you would have written long before you finished university. And I went to, I went to University of the West Indies, uh, which one, one campus was in uh, Trinidad and Tobago. And I didn't, I lasted like a semester, like literally not even a semester. I ended up just partying. I did what lots of young people do. I just had fun. I just partied. And I came home at the end of that semester. And this is not a very proud moment for brown parents. Like they're all, my, especially my mother, like my daughter's going to be a doctor. This is another very big cultural norm. Your kid needs to be a doctor or a lawyer or engineer or something where you can like hold up to the rest of your family like my kid is something because only three or four professions make it right uh, i'm totally just joking <laughs> but but that's but that's not quite a joke that's a cultural norm um and so i came home and i wallowed for a couple months because like i don't know what i'm going to do next and i remember it was actually my brother-in-law my older sister's husband he was he's very important in my life but he we, we had this family meeting we had to sit down and have a little intervention with me when I was 22 or 22, 23, I think at that time, or 22, 20, 23, I can't remember. And we had to have this little family intervention of like, what am I going to do? And like, what are some steps in front of me? And my brother-in-law was like very, very instrumental. He was like, just go do something, like get some experience. Like you finished school, like whoop-de-doo. Um, I mean, that's an achievement, I guess, but it was like, who cares? You finished school, go do something. And so, uh, that conversation was important to me because it was like, okay, like literally go do something. Like I've never, I mean, I had lots of part-time jobs, like that kind of thing. I had two part-time jobs through university. So like I know how to be in a job. Um, but that was an important conversation to me. And then I actually, shortly after that, I, I started a small personal training business. Um, cause I was like, well, this is the thing I know how to do. 
I had, you know, done some of that in university. And I mostly, uh, I started a pre and postnatal fitness training business. And so I was attached to two, two fitness facilities. One was in Richmond Hill where I, I lived and one was sort of midtown Toronto. And the point of being attached to both of those was to like build uh, experience, get some, like build skill set, get some experience working in a facility like that, working with clients. Like what are you offering to them? Like what does training actually look like? Um, so, so I got to learn some of that. And then from that, I got a lot of referrals. So I had bought, I bought a car and I bought my first car. I bought, uh, well, I didn't buy my first car. I was gifted my first car. It was very nice. Um, but I bought a small suitcase and I bought equipment. Um, just, you know, like stuff you can put in a suitcase and then you can like take it client to client, take it to their house. And so I got a lot of referrals out of that. And I built a small training business that, uh, was probably a three year journey for me, close to a three year journey. Um, and yeah, it's like, I mean, you know what that life is like. You're kind of working at five in the morning till about nine or 10, and then you have a little hour or two of break. Then there's some lunchtime clients and then after work all the way till eight or nine or 10, probably nine for me. And I was moving around all over the city, all over like the GTA Toronto, which is like big. It's not like driving around 20 minutes here, which is easy. Um, so I had to kind of figure out that business model. What did that look like? And in that journey of figuring out like, what does the business model look like? Like getting paid hourly is typically like, especially if you work in one place, that's typically what the model is. But what does it look like when you're moving all over the city and there's like an hour of dead time because you're traveling to someone's house? Like you should be compensated for that time. So to, I had to figure that out. I did figure that out. Um, uh, and in that time, I that's when a family friend of mine, the same family whose family I stayed with in India, so the piece of their family that's in Toronto were neighbors of ours in the early 80s. They were the only other brown family that lived in our neighborhood. That's how we became friends. Uh, and where we, our families are still friends today, which is great. Um, but the father of that family, he was very instrumental in my life. Still, I give him a ton of credit. Um, he was really important in my life in terms of seeing like, okay, she's got a brain and she's trying to figure out a business model here. She's great working with clients. Uh, like there's a few things he would say. The biggest thing he would say to me is like, you're really good at giving, like you're, you always hold eye contact with people and that's really important in business. And he would say that over and over and over to me, but that was pivotal in my life. Um, having someone recognize some kind of potential in me and say, you should go do your MBA. And that changed my life. That, that, that conversation was the day after my older sister's wedding. So it was like March, I was sorry, it was May, 2015. It was like, go do your MBA. And here's some of the reasons why I think you should go do this. Uh, so if you want to learn more about like, how do you create a business out of this? Great. Go do that MBA and figure that out as you're, as you're going and doing this. And then my, like the trajectory of my life has like, I can't even tell you how much it has changed from that one conversation post sister's wedding to where my life is today. But that was really important of uh, figuring out how do I create some of this business model around training, which I loved. I loved it. It was like pre and postnatal fitness training. Like I worked with a lot of, it was a lot of new moms I got to work with, which was really great. Um, yeah, it was important to learn the business model behind that, but that, that conversation was pivotal in changing my life. Well, I like that you talk about conversation because like we, we talked about this before, like with, with the volume of conversations that I've had and the amount that it's shaped who I am, like anybody that's curious, like go to episode one, listen, how I talk, go to episode hundred, listen, how I talk, For sure. Like you can actually see it in the episode and just how, how I talk to people, what I get out of the conversation. And just amass your own journey of self-growth by going through those conversations yeah. or have conversations of your own. You don't need to listen to me talk. Have your own conversations. Schedule coffee with people. It's such a, an important thing that uh, 
actually going and being in connection with people face to face on a regular basis. Oh. Is, like I think social media makes us think that we, we got it checked off, but we don't. I'm so glad I didn't grow up in the time of social media. Yeah, it's a very different thing. Sorry, I said 2015, that was 2005. Like the person who I was then in 2005 was, as you say, like you've, from the beginning of this to now, and this is, we're not talking like, we're, we are talking a couple of years, but we're not talking like a decade of your life. Like think how differently your brain has grown and evolved like 10 years ago to now. Like I would say too, that that's a 15 year journey for me, 2005 to now, but how different my brain works and how I think and have grown so differently from then to now. Part of it is just age, but part of it is what have you done in those years uh, to grow yourself? And also how you've leaned into your tough times. Yeah. Like I'm yeah. sure like it, at the end of the day, we could probably have a second episode full of like tough times that you've hundred percent. You know what? My husband, you know what my husband calls me? Whenever I say something that's like, oh, I'm having, you know, it's kind of difficult. He calls me tough time. He's like, oh, tough time. That's what he calls me. <laughs> so we could have a whole episode on this. Does that make, like, what, where did that stem from with I don't know. tough time? Just... No, he's just joking. Like, he, he's, he has five million nicknames for me, but one of them is like, oh, tough time. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> it's just a little joke. <laughs> what, are you, what are your three favorite things about him? About my husband? Oh, there's so many. Three's not enough. Um, I like how open he is, like just how his brain works, like he's just open to anything. He's, and this is part of the cultural limitation I, w I was kind of referring to before where certain cultures like limit themselves. Being married to a white person, he just, I don't, this is going to sound silly, but he doesn't have that. I don't know if it's just his family or just like he just never had those limitations. So he just thinks really big and can hear anything. And even if it's contradictory to what he thinks, he just he'll hear it and he's open to like having a conversation. So that openness is something that's I really, really dig about him. Uh, he's had a lot of experiences in his life. Uh, he traveled on and off for not quite a decade, but almost a decade. So when most people like finish high school and go to university and go get a job and those kinds of things. He did none of those things. Uh, and as a result, he's a very, very fascinating person. And I think he's the most interesting person I've ever met. He has really great stories all the time. So it, literally, if you sit down and chat with him, it's like story time with Uncle Casey. And he did, his name's Casey. He did, he did, uh, he did a lot of like real travel. So he would travel for like 15 months at a time. And this was like pre-internet. So how did his parents know where he was? How they, did he take selfies? For sure, exactly. He like wrote actual letters home. Oh my goodness. And made like actual collect phone calls. Some people listening don't even know what those things are. Did he talk <laughs> to people face to face instead yeah. of through his phone? He's so, wow. he's just so interesting. So that would be number two. And I think that's sort of what shaped maybe point one that I made of just being so open. He's experienced so many cultures. So, but you know, back to one of our early, your earlier points about talking about that, like he's traveled everywhere, like everywhere. He spent a lot of time in the Middle East, which he really enjoys. He lived in Costa Rica for six months. He spent a long time in India. He tried to do a bike trip from Turkey, from Istanbul to Delhi. He tried to do a bike, would have taken like 15 months. 9-11 happened in that time, so he didn't get to go and do that big, huge, epic trip. But yeah, he's very interesting. And I think it's cultural experiences over almost a decade has shaped a lot of his thinking uh, and he just he's 
he's very loving. He's one. He's the most loving person I know. He just accepts me for me. He doesn't care what color my brown skin is. He doesn't care where my family's from. He doesn't care about all of those things that culturally people tend to care about. Some people listening might know what I'm talking about. They certainly do. My white guy doesn't care about any of those things. He just loves me for me, and he's very loving. Doesn't That's matter. Awesome. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. matter what I've said. He still loves me, even if I've said something not great to him. <laughs> those are my top three. I like it. Yeah. So the last and final question for this episode is, if you could give one piece of advice to someone on how to live their life to the fullest in the most true to themselves way, what would that piece of advice be? Oh, this is new. This is coming new to me. I have a good thing. I think it's a good thing. Uh, so from those health challenges I talked about, I only mentioned one of them, but there's a lot that happened in 2017. I've done a lot of this has sort of been one of those like character building moments in my life the last few years. There's been lots of other points in my life too. Um, but the last few years in particular has been that. And in that time, when you, when you don't have your health, you have literally have nothing else. It's eye opening to like realize like, wow, I'm not invincible. I know we know that, but until like you've crumbled a little bit, you don't really know that. So, so having to kind of build myself back up, I've done a lot of personal growth as well as like physically getting better. Um, and the last couple years, if there's some people listening to this that know me will know what I'm, what I'm about to say or, or can maybe think about what I'm about to say, is that I think it's important to think what is important for your long-term health and happiness. And what I mean by that is thinking about what is essential for you. So I will share this. I've shared this a couple times. I was gifted a book last year by uh, from Lululemon called Essentialism by Greg McEwen. Yeah, do you know that book? Oh, it's yeah. such a good book. Yeah. Okay, so that to me is probably step two in this journey. So as I started this, so let me back up. Actually, I'm a little out of order. So I went through this journey, started going through like some personal growth stuff, and one of the first things I did, and I don't know what made me do this, maybe because I had time. As I said, it was like six to eight months of like get better. I didn't really work a ton in that period of time. I went down this minimalism journey. And so, have you heard of the minimalists? Yep. Okay. So I started following those guys, and I started. I started once, three times. I ended up doing it, but I did the minimalism challenge, and that's a thirty-day minimalism challenge. You get rid of one thing on day one, day two, two things, day three, three things, and so on. By the time you get to the twenties, it's hard. Like twenty-one, day twenty-one, get rid of twenty-one things, day twenty-two, right? And uh, in about a year and a half, I did that challenge three times. I got from this condo that you're sitting in right now over 1,500 items because I actually went a little further. But I got rid of a ton of stuff, like lots of stuff like this. You only need two of these. You don't need 20 of these little yeah, dishes yeah. to put your tea bag in. Yeah. So I got rid of like stuff from every corner of this place. Um, and that for me was not just about stuff. That was like such a shift in mindset of like what is actually important in your life. Um, and for me, that was thinking around my health and happiness and particularly my health. I think I've, that's broadened a lot now, but, but I have to think about that forever. And step two was reading this book last year, uh, and spending time between, you know, like, what does that minimalism journey look like and what is essential to my, my life? And I think that that together, those things, like what makes you who you are and what is not just your purpose, that sounds so cliche, but like. What's important to you moving forward? And that can evolve and change, but it's not everything. It's a few things. Like when you hear the word priorities and you see like 15 things on a list, that's not a priority list. Like there's two things that are one thing that should be on a priority list. So I think kind of narrowing it down and figuring out like what is important to you for whatever your reasons are. Mine was health and happiness, but it can pick, it can be whatever it is to you, but narrowing it down. Cause I think our lives can get very clouded with like, 
I got to go to work and the kids soccer and I got to make cupcakes for so-and-so and I have to go to this and I have to, you know, you have to be part of all of these, this networking event and so on and so forth. And then it just gets clouded and you get clogged up and like, what's actually important. And I think a lot of people, I, and maybe this is this day and age, I was just listening to a podcast talking about lack of sleep. Ariana Huffington was talking about lack of sleep. And it's because we're so clouded by a lot of these things. So how do you sort of remove some of that and pick whatever is important to you? Everyone has their own personal reasons and do that. And that will evolve, of course, but do that. Yep. That's what I would say. That was a long answer. That was a good answer. There you go. And like, I just recently went through the book. I, I listened to it on audiobook like three times. I read it once. It's good. It's really good. And it's really important if there's any like trainers or just like people that are starting out in their career listening to this. And I'll tell you from my perspective is like, I, I consider myself a beginner all the time. And so with that being said, my business is not in completion. It is a work in progress. I could be more full of things to do, but I'm being particular in the things that I do. So my schedule could be full of like different group classes. I could go contract at different places here and there and everywhere, or I could focus on the things that give me the most fulfillment, trust the process, work on it, work on it, work on it, put my heart into things like this podcast. Like yeah. the things that make me feel fulfilled take precedent over the things that put money in my bank account with the delicate balance of making sure that I survive. Of course. Because of course. Like, yeah. even, even if we are not like wealthy from the start, A, wealth does not equal happiness, and B, if you do something, anything, for a long enough time, you'll get to where you want to be. Oh, for sure. You absolutely will. And we are wealthier than most of the world. Like we are very, very, very lucky where we live in this privileged place of both of us. Like we just, yes, yeah. we just are. But not to minimize your point, because your point is really important. Um, but yeah, no, I agree with both of those. Are, those are those are important things. This has yeah. been a woke episode. <laughs> like we, <laughs> there we you really go. lit it up today. We did. I mean, we did. We did. Yeah. Thank you for this. That was great. Well, it was nice to share. Yeah. Thanks for joining me. And nice to meet you for the first time me at my too. kitchen table. Yeah. <laughs> If you want to support the Lifestyle Chase, the best way to do that right now is to share. Share the living shit out of this podcast. Put it in your Instagram story, tell a friend, uh, promote it on social media. And so it's all about building momentum to help make people a bit more resilient in life, inspire others, share the stories of people who you may look up to. I'm sure tons of you have a very special place for Lizina in your heart. And there's probably a lot of past guests who you hold in a high regard. Their story is helping other people. I, I see the listens. I see how often some of these episodes get listened to. And I understand how helpful it can be to hear a story a few times. So as you share, it helps others. Thank you for your support. It means a lot. Have a good one.